Good morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Welcome to church. We're glad that you guys have made it. Um, it's, uh, it's weird coming to church when a lot of our young people aren't here. We still have quite a few here, but a lot of them are at Willembad today for the school. Um, the school is there today um, singing the choir. Um, and so it comes to coming to church, it's always interesting to see so many people are away. But it's also good to see how, what an impact our school has on our church, isn't it? Last week we saw how two beautiful people got baptized um, because the influence of the school. So as we go about our business, let's keep on praying for our school, knowing that not just TVAC, but all the Adventist schooling system is uh, there to serve us in our evangelistic purposes. I'm glad that, you, that you're here today. And before we get to the sermon, I just want to um, speak about this serve day that we have next week. So this is the t-shirt that we'll have. Um, you can register. And I know Pastor Andrew has already spoken about the serve day next week, but we really want to encourage the church to register for that. So uh, we want everybody to have a t-shirt so you can go on there and register. At the present moment, the t-shirts will, the t-shirts will be free um, but you can donate uh, a portion if you want to. Uh, but this is the T-shirt, what it will look like. At the back it says, I can't remember what it says at the back. Year to serve, there we go. Year to serve. Um, and so we want the community as we go out to recognize the homegrown collective and recognize the Christian unity and voice in Kingscliff and in Chindera as we go out and serve our community. So next week, once again, we're going to go out. And from Kingscliff, we actually need eight individuals that will lead some of our teams. So if you're interested in leading, we need four people that will be there in a spiritual capacity, chaplain capacity, to just speak to people and encourage them and, and, and bless them with, with presence and just, uh, not presence, presence as in being there for them, praying for them, speaking to them. And then we need four individuals that will be there to do more logistical stuff, help out with the actual cleaning um, and um, organizing of the, of the teams. So if you're interested in helping us, or you're interested in coming next week, come and speak to us so that we can get your names. Um, otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. We really want to encourage this. This is going to be a long-standing initiative of our church and the churches in the surrounding area to keep on blessing our community and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, for today's service, we're going to look at a, a very interesting story in the Bible um, and the, the way that we can face barriers in our, fa- in our faith. Facing barriers is the title of the sermon, and the story is, is found in Matthew chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there in your Bible. If you don't, you can just follow on the screen. Matthew chapter 15, this is kind of at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's been ministering for quite a long time, and he goes to a specific place to kind of get away a little bit Um, from the people, from the crowds, and he goes into a Gentile area. And we pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 15. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even, even, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs and fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let's close our eyes for a prayer. Gracious Father, we come to you, Lord, and we say thank you for your love 
and your mercy and your grace. Lord, as we get into this passage of Scripture, Lord, and we want to see what your Word wants to reveal to us, your Spirit wants to reveal to us, we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would come and inspire us, illuminate our hearts and our minds, Lord, to not only learn more about you, not only to learn more about the Bible, Lord, but to grow in our faith because we will also struggle with barriers sometimes. And may this story um, inspire us, Lord, um, to push beyond that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is an interesting story, and if, you've never re- if you're not familiar with the Bible or not familiar with um, the narrative, this might be a bit of a, a difficult s- story to stomach, especially when you know Jesus and you kind of know the, the narrative of who Jesus is, this beautiful character, this beautiful person that always loves and you know, he's always there to serve. And somehow when you read this story, you'll say, but this is uncharacteristic almost of Jesus. He seems like a bit of a douchebag. Right? He seems like a bit of a bad guy, somebody that you're like, oh, I don't want anything. Like, here comes somebody asking for help, and he basically just ignores her. He basically doesn't do anything. He just seems like a typical Jewish man in a typical Jewish society and way that they would treat Samaritans and um, Canaanites and Phoenicians and basically anybody outside other than them. And if you're a good Christian and you read this, this story should kind of just scratch a little bit where you're like, this doesn't sit well with me. Have you tried to figure out the story before? Have you tried to, try to analyze and say, what is actually going on here? That's all I want to do today. A short little Bible study to figure out what is really going on here. What is the intent of the story? So it says, Jesus went from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So Tyre and Sidon, um, if you look at the map there, is very high north. It's the um, kind of Phoenician area. Um, it's right at the, um, at the ocean. Um, so these were people, the seafaring people, um, and it's, it's pretty far away. So Jesus ministers right about there most of his time, and he's exhausted. He's, he's not being accepted that well within his own community. His own people are rejecting him, as the prophecy in Isaiah 53 has foretold. They're not accepting him. So not only um, ideologically or theologically are they rejecting him, um, but he's now also pulling away from them a little bit, not only theologically, but also geographically. He's pulling away to find a bit of rest. He's been ministering for quite a long time. So Jesus goes there. He's not necessarily out there to do mission in the Gentile area. A few passages before that in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said that his main mission is to come to the house of Israel. And there's something that we'll pick up here. So he goes to this area. Now from this area, he goes to Tyre and Sidon. And later on in chapter 16, he goes to Caesarea Philippi. So we pick up the story then. Then it says, and behold, a Canaanite woman. Now, for many of us, we were reading this, and you know the story of the Bible. We'd be like, yeah, 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 we've heard the Canaanite stories before. We've read the Old Testament. We know that the Canaanites are the enemies to the Jews. But what's interesting is that the same story that is in Mark, he doesn't say that this is a Canaanite woman. He says it's a Syrophoenician woman, which is actually the accurate term because in that times they wouldn't call them Canaanites. What Matthew is doing here is that he's borrowing from the Old Testament stories and says, oh yeah, yeah, these people are Syrophoenicians. They're from Tyre and Sidon. But who they actually are, they're the people that we struggled with for so long. They're the Canaanites. They're the Old Testament Canaanites. They are the people that were our enemies. They were the people that God said have nothing to do with it. So Matthew in, in, in using one word, brings out back all the baggage of the Old Testament to the Jews and say, remember these people. Remember the other people that we were against. 
The other nations that were against us. You remember the conflict and warfare. You remember that they worshiped the God of Baal, the God that we were not supposed to worship, the God that we're supposed to stay away from. So now this Canaanite woman, that idea of woman is another thing. A Jewish man would not just speak to a woman in public. He would only speak to his own wife. But now there's a Canaanite woman. Two strikes against her already. She's not a believer. She's not even from their people. Yet she comes and she comes from that region and she comes out and she screams and she cries out. The, the verb tense for crying is in the imperfect meaning that she wasn't just crying at once. Have mercy on me. She's consistently crying. If that had to happen today in, say, the Coles or the Woolies or in the mall and we saw this woman walking around screaming what she was screaming, we'd be like, whoa, there's a crazy lady in the store. Like, they are walking, and this lady is repeatedly crying, constantly wailing, constantly uh, uh, kind of being on Jesus. Please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. She's constantly crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, what's interesting is this phrase, O Lord, son of David, is not a, a general term that a Canaanite or Syrophoenician would use. This is a very specific Jewish term. It's almost a Jewish key to the specific understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. The word Lord there, the word kurios, means that could be, could be just translated in a, a sense of respect. He is a sir, a master. That's how you translate that word. But in the context of the son of David, the son of David meaning the, the messianic king, she recognizes that he is not just a good man. She realizes that he is not merely a prophet. He is the son of David. She realizes, she knows who he is. So even though she is not of that faith, even though she is not a Jew, she realizes who he is and she taps into that and says, oh, Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Even though Jesus has never been in that region, she has heard the report, she has heard the stories, she knows who Jesus is, and so she approaches him and comes to him. But he did not answer her a word. Have you ever come to Jesus? You know who he is. You know that he is the good God and you know what he is capable of. You've heard all of the stories. You've heard all of the sermons. You've, you've listened to all of these things. You've, you've listened to all of the testimonies. You've seen God move in all, everybody, everybody's life. And then you come to Jesus and you cry out, oh Lord, son of, son of God, son of David, please do something. And he is silent in your life. Not a word, not a whisper comes in your dark night of anguish and you pray and you cry and you pray some more and you cry some more but yet there's nothing just the struggle of silence have you experienced that if you have you're in good company listen to Habakkuk how he says it Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? You will, will you not hear or cry, or, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at the wrong? He says, why don't you do anything? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice goes forth. Never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth forth perverted. Or maybe it's like Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Have you ever prayed that, that prayer before? How long, O Lord? How much more? 
Will you forget me forever? Will you remember everybody else in the church and everybody else on the prayer team and everybody else that's talking to you and we see all of these things, but you will forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? What is he saying? He's saying, I'm so lonely that the only person that listens to me is me. The only person that I can turn to is me because you're not there. There's nothing. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Have you ever been in that situation where it feels like God is blowing you off, that he's not, he's not answering you, he's not doing anything? You keep opening your Bible, you keep praying these prayers, but there is nothing but silence. Now, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that that's reality. I know sometimes when you pray, it seems that there is silence. Sometimes when you pray, it seems that there is no answer. And, and, and there is no answer of why this happens. I think that there are some answers, but this is not a comprehensive one. One of them can be found in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel, praying for a few times, praying earnestly for God, we get this. He says, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. This is Gabriel speaking. From, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard. He says, Daniel, from the moment that you went on your knees and you said, dear Jesus, he was there and he was listening. There was not like, yeah, 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 Daniel, just, just take a ticket and sit down. We'll get you in a moment. He says, from the moment that you closed your eyes, from the moment that you spoke, God was listening. And I have come because of your words. And God sends somebody. So God listens and God acts. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is an anti-type of the devil, he says, withstood me 21 days. So for three weeks, I was trying to get you, trying to answer your prayer, but there was a wrestle going on, there's a warfare going on, and that withheld me from doing something. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me for I was left with the kings of Persia. Another reason, so the first reason is that there's a, a, a great controversy waging. There's a war waging, and there is certain things that we don't know what's happening, but because they are happening in this great controversy, seems sometimes that there is silence. But God is answering, and God is doing something. Another reason could be found in 2 Corinthians. So Paul praying about here, he had some form of, of a, what he would call a flesh wound or uh, something that wounded him, something that kept him. And so he speaks about this and he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul had received great revelations. He had seen things and experienced things that put him on a different spiritual plane than just everybody else. And so he says, so, so because of that, to keep me from be becoming conceited because of my surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep from me, from me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me. So he, he, he has this, this uh, being or, or, or whatever it is, this thorn in the flesh that keeps on um, kind of um, uh, attacking him and, and bringing something. We don't know exactly what, but somehow he says, I prayed about this, I prayed about this, and it seems that the God is not answering me. But then he realizes that this person or this being or this situation or this whatever it is, this is not for my destruction, but it is for my development. This is there to help me so that I don't become something that I'm not supposed to become. He continues, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, my insults, my hardship, my persecutions, and my calamities. What is he saying? He says, hey, there will be weaknesses, there will be insults, there will be hardships, there will be persecution, there will be calamities. All of these things that we generally pray for to be removed from our lives, he says, these things will come and they might make, might, might make us weak at certain points. But I will boast in my weakness. Why? Because when I am weak, I realize that I am, I am in need of God. So sometimes God uses those things. He doesn't necessarily bring those things, but He uses those things. For when I am weak, I am strong. So sometimes when we, what we see as destruction or deafening silence, God intends for our development. Let that sink in. What, you, what, what are you going through? What are you struggling with at the moment? What is the thing that you've been praying for and praying for and praying for and it just doesn't seem that God answers? Maybe you are seeing that as destruction towards you. Maybe you're seeing that as deafening silence, but maybe God is saying, I can use this to develop them, to de develop him, to develop her, to become more wise, to become more robust, more mature. Have you ever seen a, a child when they don't get their way? What do they do? You know, they, okay, fine. You know, the lip blows up, five bar, shoulder slump forward, fine, and then they mope around. Right? Well, sometimes we still spiritual children. We are supposed to, and, and maybe let me make this decision, we are spiritually childish, not spiritual children. So we should all be spiritual children. We should all be, have the curiosity and humility and all of those things. But some of us think that spiritual, being spiritual children means being spiritually childish. No, no, no. God wants us not to be spiritually childish. He wants us to mature in our faith. He wants us to develop in our faith. If you read Romans 5 and you read James 1, it, it says there that sometimes we will have persecution. Sometimes we will have suffering. Sometimes we will have all of these things so that it will develop patience in us. And patience will character and character will, will move into hope. There are certain things in life that will, that will make us stronger and more mature and, and develop us because we have gone through the fire, not because we are saved from the fire. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying after us. So, so, so she's crying, and she's crying, she's crying. And the disciples, disciples are just as annoyed about the situation. So they're not pleading with God to say, hey, answer this prayer, do something. He's just saying, send her away. Just say to her, go, leave, leave us alone. The, the verb they're once again crying uh, or saying is the same um, imperfect. So they kept on saying, as she's escalating and crying, they're escalating and Jesus is just silent. Doesn't say a thing. What do you think is the view of the, the disciples regarding this woman? How do you think they view this situation and this individual that is crying out, this Canaanite woman crying out to Jesus, the Messiah, O Lord, son of David? What is their perspective? What is their paradigm? They see her as a stranger. They see her as a woman. They see her as a foreigner. Essentially, they see her with pride and prejudice. We are the chosen people, and they are not. We are men, and she's a woman. We are Israelites, she's a Canaanite. Essentially, they see her as other not a part of us, not a part of our community. She is other. 
And so dismiss her, let her go, let her be. Who is other to you? Have you realized that when we talk about discussions about other groups or other people, we are always in the center and in the middle? Yeah, everybody's either liberal or conservative from the point of perspective where we stand. So we speak about the conservatives, oh, these conservatives, or the liberals, oh, these liberals, from our perspective, we are always in the middle. And these are always the other, right? And we have things to say here, but what is that that is other? And is our gospel big enough to include the others? Or is our gospel so limited, is our view of God so limited that it cannot include the other? That we're saying, God, just dismiss them and so that those of us that are in the group, those of us that are comfortable with each other, that speak the same language, look the same, talk the same, and all of those things, that we can come together and we can continue on our journey, but dismiss them. How does your gospel stack up to the inclusiveness of the other? And Jesus answered her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You would consider this as a burn. Be like, ooh, like this is the answer. This is the answer that Jesus comes. This comes, a Canaanite woman comes to him and says, oh Lord, have mercy, blah, 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 all of these things. And he says, this is his response. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's a definitive answer, isn't that? Like that's a pretty clear answer, girl, we're not for you. We didn't come here. Jesus is on a mission and his mission is to the lost house of Israel. So unless you can show us your passport or your ID that you're from the lost house of Israel, kind of get on your way. But there's something very interesting about this idea of Israel. Who is Israel? You ever asked yourself that? Who's Israel? Well, the nation of Israel. But if you dig back, go through the Old Testament archives, you kind of dig a bit more and you get to the point where Israel was founded, you go to Genesis chapter 32, it says, and Jacob is on his way to Esau and he realizes there's trouble, so he splits his family up in two and there's a night where he's alone. And it says, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he's wrestling with this being at the moment, he's not sure, but the whole night he's wrestling through this being. And he is so stubborn, this guy. He is so determined that even though his hip is out of joint, he's like, he's beaten, but he keeps on holding on. He doesn't let go. He keeps on persisting. And so he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. He's holding on for dear life. Man, this guy has been defeated, but he holds on. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, which means what? Deceiver. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have what? Striven with God and with men and you have prevailed. The name Israel means literally he contends with God. Now, I don't know about you, but the puzzle pieces are falling together that this lady was actually from the house of Israel. Maybe not biologically, but she realized what it means to be a true Israelite. It means that you hold on and you keep on striving. You keep on contending. You keep on going on. So she realizes this. And I can almost imagine, I can almost imagine Jesus there keeping silence, seeing the situation. Because remember, Jesus is not seeing this as destruction or deafening silence. He is there to develop, not only develop her, but develop his disciples. So Jesus is there. And I can just imagine in my mind's eye, Jesus standing there saying, I'm from the lost house of Israel. Wink, wink. Like she's gonna get it. She's gonna realize what he's meaning because then she responds, right? She responds this, but she came and knelt before me and saying, Lord, help me. 
Three times in this passage, she uses the word Lord, kurios. She knows who he is. So he again says to her, hey, to the disciples, from the disciples' perspective, please leave, you're not from the house of Israel. But she realizes what Jesus is actually saying. And she says again, Lord, please help me. And he answered her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oof, that hurts, doesn't it? You're like, Jesus, that's a bit rude. Like, didn't your mom teach you any manners? This word, actually, the word dogs is not the right translation. The literal translation is a diminutive of dog. It's actually puppy. It should read and throw it to the puppies. Now, dogs weren't like, I, I love dogs. I love animals, and, and I love dogs. And I've got such a cute dog. He, he's like a child almost. Like, we pamper this thing. If I ever want to reincarnate, not that I believe in reincarnation, but if I did, I want to come into our house again as a dog. Like, it's the most lap of luxury that you can imagine, right? But back in Jesus' time, they didn't have dogs the way that we dogs. Dogs were scavengers. They were, they were just there outside and they ate the scraps of stuff and they were on the outside of the city skirts. So they didn't domesticate them. But sometimes they would have small little puppies that, that, that would be closer, that would be not domesticated in the sense, but they would still be a bit more domesticated than these, the, the, the grown animals, right? So here Jesus, and, and dogs were, Gentiles were considered as dogs. That was their designation by the Jews. They would call them dogs, right? So they would say, oh, these dogs, and they would re refer to the Gentiles. So Jesus is referring to her as a dog the way that any Jew would refer to any other Gentile. So for the disciples, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's the way that we speak about them. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Do you think that the disciples are like, man, this lady should get the point right now? Like first Jesus said that he's not coming to anybody else but the house of Israel. Now he's saying she's a dog. Like, come on, lady. What is her response? She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What is she doing here? She's acting like a child of Israel. She is striving. She says, Lord, that you're so good that even your crumbs is enough for me. You are so good that even if I can't sit at the table feast, I'm willing to be a dog. If you're calling me a dog, I'll be a dog because I know that those crumbs will be really good for me. Can you see the persistence of this lady? Listen to the Seventh-day Adventist commentary. It says, the Jews felt the blessings of salvation would be wasted if given to the Gentiles, given to the others, given to the people that are not us, who according to the opinion of the Jews lack the capacity to appreciate these blessings or to benefit them. Is there some people or group of people in your life that think, no, 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 they won't be able to appreciate this. They won't be able to understand this. And you might be like, nah, not us. But have you ever listened to the way that we sometimes speak of other faiths, of other denominations, of other groups of people that are not us and how we refer to them? Yeah, they would be able to understand if they were a part of us or if they have the light that we do, right? In many ways, we are very similar to the disciples. They lack the capacity to appreciate these blessings or to benefit from them. Christ assumed the attitude of disdain for the woman might conceivably have, be, have discouraged her. But undoubtedly, he had confidence that her faith would not fail. What is that saying to you? Somehow Jesus had faith in this woman that even though he was praying hard to get, he knew that her faith was strong enough that she would be able to prevail. 
that she would be able to contend. She seemed sure that Christ could grant her her heart's desire if only he would. So the, the, the situation wasn't like, oh, could he do this? Like he's being playing hard to get. Maybe he can't do this. No, no, she knew that he can if only he would. Pride and prejudice meant nothing to her. I love that statement. Pride and prejudice meant nothing to her. What does that mean? It meant that she doesn't care if they call her a dog. I'll be a dog. I don't care that you're prejudiced against me. I don't, that's fine. You don't have to like me. You don't have to believe me. I know, that, I know who the Savior is. But it's a two-way street because she was humble enough to give up her pride and prejudice to come to him. And she was willing to take the pride and prejudice of the other group to come to him. Sometimes the gospel expects us to be humble enough to come and give up our pride and prejudice. Prejudice against other people. Prejudice is about what we think the gospel is or, what, what, or what, what, who God is. Pride to come enough to say, Lord, man, I'm willing to be a dog. I know that I might not be worthy, but Lord, please bless me. To come nonetheless. And she would not let these deter her. Her faith and perseverance are truly commendable. That's why she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And so in that point, Jesus knew. He realized that she is the true Israelite. She is truly the one that is willing to contend with God. So then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. That word faith is a word that has lost its meaning in our, in our world today. We, have, we, we equate faith to just airy-fairy stories. The word faith literally means to trust. I like that word better. So when you're saying that I have faith in Jesus, you're saying I trust in Jesus. So Jesus says, oh woman, great is your trust in me. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. He's saying, you trusted me enough. You knew that I could do what you asked me to do and you kept on persevering because you knew I was the only option that can do this. Interesting enough, in that area, there were various other temples that were set up purely for healing. Meaning that they could have gone to all the other places. There were other pagan temples that she could have gone to to receive healing. But she knew none of those places could give true healing. Only Jesus could. So she said, you're the only show in town that can actually do this. You're the only Messiah that can do this. So I will keep on contending because there's nobody else to contend with. There's nobody else to, to wrestle with because none of them are, are anything. You are the only one. You are the only God. You're the only Messiah. You're the only one that can save. So she comes. What's interesting, uh, interesting about this verse is that this is not only a verse about her trust and faith in Jesus, but it's a, it's a show of trust, that, uh, of the faithfulness of Jesus towards the great covenant. Because Israel, Jacob, was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, and Abraham was the one that God said, I'm going to bless you to bless, bless all of the nations. He is saying to Abraham, I will make a covenant with you, and through your people, I will bless the whole universe, or the, the whole world. And Jesus says, I remember that covenant. I remember the covenant that I will be a blessing to all people. This is opening the door to the Gentile mission. Later on in Matthew chapter 16, a chapter just after that, Jesus goes to, to uh, Caesarea Philippi, to the most pagan place, and he starts his church there. And we're in the darkest pagan places, and he says to these, to these Jewish boys, my mission is not just for the house of Israel. My mission is supposed to go to the whole world. It is first to come to the house of Israel. 
But the house of Israel didn't accept it, so then it goes beyond those borders into the whole world. So what are the takeaways? First takeaway, how does the barrier of silence impact your spiritual walk? When you're praying for something, when you have your long nights of weeping and you're crying and you're petitioning, you're fasting, you're praying, you're doing all of these things and you are met with silence, how do you respond? What do you do? Do you walk away? Do you become numb? Do you just walk through the motions so that it seems that you're still Christian, but you've detached yourself, you've, you've removed yourself from this relationship with God? Remember that sometimes, our sometimes what we see as destruction or deafening silence, God intends for development. So maybe that silence means something. Keep striving and contending with God. Ellen White writes this. She says, Christ did not immediately reply to the woman's request. He received this representative of a despised race as the Jews would have done, right? Now, Jesus is in his frame, in his frame of mind. He's looking at development. The silence that he's, that's happening, he's thinking of development. What we generally think of development is we think of our development. So God, how are you using this situation to develop me? But maybe God is using your silence to develop somebody else. Maybe God knows that you're strong enough, big enough, faithful enough to handle the silence that he gives you in order to bless other people, in order to teach somebody else something. This is what happens here. So Jesus, Ellen White says that Christ did not immediately reply to the woman's request. He received this representative of the despised race as the Jews would have done. In this, he designed. So he's a part of this. He's designing this whole situation. In this, he designed that his disciples should be impressed with the cold and heartless manner in which the Jews could treat such a case. What is, this, what is she saying? She's saying that as Jesus responds by silence, they're saying, see, we were always right. That's the way that we should do it. Jesus is setting a parable, a right parable right in front of them, an acted parable, so that they can see the stark contrast of the way that they are generally reacting to the way that they should be reacting. They're in a heartless manner in which the Jews should treat each case, as evinced by his reception of the women and the compassionate manner in which he would have had them deal with such a distress as manifested by his subsequent granting of her petition. Although this answer appeared to be in accordance with the prejudice of the Jews, it was an implied rebuke to the disciples. He's developing them, which they afterward understand as reminding them of what he had to often, he often told them, that he came to the world to save all that would accept him. In that moment, he knew this lady's got enough faith to handle this tough situation. So I'm gonna use this. And so he seems to uh, not address it so that they feel strong. And then he is very compassionate to her so that the stark contrast can be seen. And then they're like, oh, now we see we've been in the wrong. Isn't Jesus the most profound teacher that uses a situation like this? Like in the moment, he's like, I can use this. I can use the situation. Another takeaway, sometimes the cards are stacked against you. Know that God is still there and God is the God of the underdog. Maybe it feels that you are the other. Maybe you feel you don't fit into this church or into Christianity or, or you don't fit into certain, because you are the other. Maybe you don't fit into these uh, heteronormative rules and regulations that you think, but this is not the way. Maybe you feel that you don't speak the same language, you don't look the same, you don't act the same, and you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you feel that you don't fit in. Maybe you feel that you're the other. Have you ever felt that way? 
This woman was a stranger. She was a woman. She, she was the hated foreigner. And it would have been easy for her to say, this community doesn't accept me. This community doesn't like me. It was just they're calling me a dog. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to go back to my old temples of healing. I'm going to go back to my old people. They're going to accept me and they're going to love me there. I'm going to go back there. But even though she knew that she was considered as other, she knew that there was no going back. Because going back to those old temples of healing is nothing but empty. She knew that Jesus was the only one that could save her because he is the only God, he is the only Savior. He is the only one. So even though she was considered the underdog, she knew that God is the one that comes for the oppressed, for the one that is struggling. She knew that his love is there for her. Once again, Ellen White writes, she says, if she may have the privilege of a dog, she's willing to be regarded as a dog. What is she saying? She's saying that if you want to call me a dog, well, there's privileges to being a dog. Somehow she's seeing the good in, the, in this bad situation. She has no national or religious prejudice or pride to influence her cause, and she immediately acknowledges Jesus as the Redeemer and being able to do so all that she asks of Him. In faith, the woman of Phoenicia flung herself against the barriers that had been piled up between the Jew and the Gentile. Against discouragement, regardless of appearances that might have led her to a doubt, she trusted the Savior's love. That's at the heart of it. If you want to know what the sermon is about, the sermon is about this in one sentence. Trust the Savior's love for you and keep on contending. Know that He loves you more than you can even think or imagine. Know that He loves you more than, than you have ever, ever, ever thought of. That He's willing to sacrifice everything, pour out the whole treasury of heaven just for you. We sometimes believe that Jesus loved everybody. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the whole world, but not me. Yeah, yeah, He loves you, but not me. No, no, no. Start from the premise that God loves you. He loves you for who you are individually. And she knew that, so she says, I will strive from this position that He loves me. I might be the underdog for everybody else, but I know that God loves me. I might not be accepted by everybody else, but I know that God loves me. I might be the other for everybody else, but I know that God loves me. So keep on contending with Jesus. Keep on praying, keep on striving, keep on going as a true Israelite, knowing that God loves you. It is thus that Christ desires us to trust in Him. The blessings of salvation are for every soul. Nothing but His own choice can prevent the man from becoming a partaker of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Without distinction of age or rank or nationality or religious privilege, all are invited to come unto Him and live. If you are in this house today, if you are watching online and you can hear these voice, my voice, you can hear these words, know that you are invited, know that you are loved, know that you belong through Jesus Christ. Whether you feel it, whether other people believe it, that's beyond the point. It is a fact. God loves you and He cares for you and He wants you to be a part of His family. And this lady knew it. That's why she kept on striving. A true Israelite never ceases to wrestle with God. Even though there might be silence, even though it might seem the situation is gonna to lead to destruction, even though it might seem that you're the underdog or the other or whatever, the true Israelite moving from this position and place that you know that you are deeply loved by God, you will keep on striving 
because that's what it means to be a true Israelite. You will keep on wrestling. Michael J. Wilkins writes this, the Canaanite woman is a person of great faith, great trust, which allows Jesus to reward her with the request of healing of her daughter. Great faith does not imply large quantity, but rather an immovable steadfastness in trusting God's word and will against all odds and circumstances. It means that you keep on going on. You keep on striving. You keep on holding on, just like Jacob did, just like this Canaanite woman did. So we will all face barriers in our lives, all of us. That, that is a reality. Like the sun setting tonight and the sun coming up tomorrow. Like tax season. Like the rain. Whatever. It's a fact. There are certain things that will happen. You will face barriers. You will face struggles. You will feel sometimes like the other. You will sometimes feel that, that God is, is not listening to you. But keep going on. Keep going going on, moving from that place that know that God loves you more than anything else. That He loves you with the deepest love that you can ever be loved. And He wants to be your father and your friend. He wants to be a part of your life and journey this, this darkness, this fire, whatever it is, with you. Just keep holding on. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, we sometimes struggle in our faith. We sometimes come to our wit's end. We sometimes come to places of darkness. We sometimes sit on the edge, Lord, of, of a cliff, feeling that there is darkness below us and darkness above us and silence all around us. We sometimes feel that we don't belong. But Lord, this story inspires faith in us to know that we do belong, that we are loved, that we can continue. And Lord, we pray that whatever we are struggling with at the moment, Lord, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to know, Lord, how you are forming us and strengthening us and comforting us and helping us. Give us eyes that, that can see things that we cannot necessarily see with our physical eyes, spiritual eyes, discernment that only you can give. Give us peace that transcends, Lord. Give us healing, a supernatural healing for the brokenness in us. Help us to be children your children, the children of Israel that keep on striving with you day in and day out, knowing that you will come through for us, knowing that there is healing available in your wings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.